and welcome to another episode of The Scrum, WGBH News' political podcast. I'm Adam Riley, and I'm here with my esteemed WGBH colleague, Peter Kadzis, senior editor. Peter, how goes it? It goes well. And also a man who many of our listeners will know, who will need no introduction, but I'll try to introduce him anyway, John Walsh. Uh, Democratic mastermind and Svengali. John, just, just to warm yourself up and warm our <laughs> listeners up, tick off some of your uh, accomplishments as a Democratic Machiavelli. I, I feel like I should just thank you and leave. That's a great <laughs> So, you know, my, I'm, I really, uh, my uh, credibility comes from I was Deval Patrick's campaign manager. And I think that credibility comes because there was no obvious reason why he should win. And he won big and he won re-election. And honestly, everybody knows he was the greatest governor we've ever had. And um, so people either think that Deval Patrick was the renaissance and they are grateful for me, or yep. they think he was Satan. And they think, how the heck did you do that? Do people, by the way, still call him Duval Patrick when they, they talk yeah, to you about him? Some do. Some some call him Patrick Duvall. Patrick Duvall, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I remember actually. Emily, That's less frequent these days, but it, it still happens. I think Emily Rooney digging up some sound of an, uh, uh, an old woman who was not a big fan of Governor Patrick's referring to him as Patrick Duvall. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, exactly. So, um, and you went on to head the Mass Democratic, Mass Democratic Party, Party right? six and a half years, which is enough for anybody. And uh, and and now I'm out out of that. So we wanted to talk to you today, Peter and I, because we wanted to kick around the political implications of this very glowing assessment that U.S. News and World Report just delivered of our fine state of Massachusetts. Uh, They said basically that Massachusetts is the best state in the country using data put together by McKinsey. McKinsey. Yeah, this is as much McKinsey's report as it is U.S. News's. I mean, it's like U.S. News slapped there. Right. Logo on it. So it's a McKinsey report. It's an entrepreneurial approach to yeah. McKinsey's report. So Massachusetts, not perfect. I'm looking at some of the numbers right now from the U.S. News rankings. We're uh, two in health care, number one in education, mm-hmm. seven in crime and corrections, down to 19 for infrastructure, 16 for opportunity, five for economy. But across the board, uh, we fared better, according to their uh, metrics, than any other state which is gratifying, but made me wonder a couple things. Um, Is this something that your former boss, Governor Patrick, gets credit for? Is it something that the current governor, Governor Charlie Baker, gets credit for? And if there's a measure of credit that goes to Governor Baker for this, as well as your guy, uh, what are the implications for anyone who's looking to take on Governor Baker and unseat him in a couple years, including someone you're working with nowadays who may be running for governor, Newton Mayor Seti Warren. Uh, What's your take on this ranking? So first of all, congratulations to Massachusetts. We're number one. It's not just the Super Bowl, right? We didn't just get the Cy Young Award winner. Uh, We're on a whole range of topics. And, you know, who gets credit? Uh, uh, There's no question Governor Baker was here when the rose bloomed, and so he gets the bouquet. That's totally legit. Um, But, you know, these things are, on on a general sense... And when we talk specifically about some of these rankings, in a general sense, these are a a trend report for Massachusetts. Massachusetts is really on a roll. And now we're not, this success is not getting to everyone. And and some parts of the state are booming and some parts are really struggling. But but overall, we're in a sustained recovery. Um, You know, our strengths have been our strengths for a while. But, you know, honestly, 10 years ago, 
those strengths didn't prevent Massachusetts from losing population for two years in a row. You know, our high costs are part of it. So there's a space here that I, you know, I would probably give more credit to Governor Patrick because of sustained investment, a sustained focus on some of the economic drivers that are making Massachusetts. Um, but there's also these reports are fun. You know, I, ha I haven't checked the open uh, checkbook to see how much. Uh, Governor Baker is paying McKinsey with our state funds, but you know we could really <laughs> check that out. You know, but 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 here's the thing: in the end of the day, if you really break down the report, and I, I see Peter's got some 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 things here, um, most of these rankings that make up this aggregate are, I think, if I did it right, 20% of them are from before 2014, 85% of them are 2018 and earlier. So, I mean, one, if you, if someone were, Wait, wanted, or 2015 earlier or 16? No, 2015 15, and I'm early. sorry. Right, so there's, there's about 15% of them are six 2016 numbers, but most of the trend lines, if you look at the, how they break them, yeah. are 12 to 15. So one thing that's definitely true is Governor Baker inherited a humming economy. Now, the fact that they can't balance the state budget would be a question. Yeah, question for who? I mean, not balancing the state budget is like a Massachusetts tradition. I mean, it's yeah. these days it is. Sure. I mean, since like 1998, the, for sure. It, it, it's like the Harvard Yale game. Well, <laughs> I, to to me, it's real simple. The legislature wants to spend more money than the tax base will allow, but no one has the courage to raise tax rates. Sure. So well, everyone plays a big game of kidding each other. Peter, you, I think you've got it 92% right. The second piece, though, is so the, the Democrats in the legislature, let's make it a little partisan. It's not really a partisan problem. It's a Beacon Hill problem, right? The Democrats don't want to cut the programs, but too many of them don't have the guts to ask for taxes. Yeah. The Republicans want to cut taxes, but they don't want to get blamed for the program. So they put the whole budget in a box, and they, you know, they add, sell a courthouse here, they get a little bump in revenue there, and they tell everybody we're balanced. But at a moment where we're at 2.8% unemployment, a sustained economic recovery, we can't balance the budget. I mean, can't balance the budget to the point where we're cutting opioid treatment funds on Cape Cod, homelessness funds in the Berkshires, the Greater Boston Food Bank. I mean, $98 million in, in, uh, in the 9C cuts, and the legislature still is not comfortable we have the money to override them. So how is it that in this 2.8% sustained recovery, this is it. It is. It is really, really. A, and, and you know, I, I, of course, as a Democrat, I want to heap as much of the blame on Charlie Baker. But it's not just him. It is the Democratic legislature, and they've all got to step up. And Noah Berger should be someone yeah. you should get in. He's put a proposal for a, a pretty dorky um, budget transparency. Let's publish a level service budget out on the open. Let's do our revenue projections over the next number of years out in the open. Instead of the budget process now is, oh, here's what we project the revenues and then we do these meetings and then we go in the back and we come out and go, oh, we got enough. John, I like that idea a lot. As a citizen of this state, yep. what do you think the odds are that the legislative leadership would even think twice about maybe doing that? That just sounds well, like it it's depends. dead on arrival to me. <clears throat> so if I were to say it's dead on arrival, then actually what I would be saying as someone who cares about the Democratic Party is that our legislative leaders are not paying attention. I mean, I'm not sure what the Democrats in the legislature think the Donald Trump thing is about, or honestly what they think the Bernie Sanders thing was about. But it's about citizens who have had enough of this. And I think they want someone who's going to tell them the truth. 
you know, and for 2018, so to the degree whether Charlie Baker can get reelected or not, um, you know, from some of our previous conversations, I doubt that. And, but, but I think that there's a space here. Re taxes are going to be on the ballot, right? So any Democrat yeah, doesn't want to do tax. it. Yeah. Well, I'd like to not call it the millionaire's tax. Let's call it the $20,000 a week tax. Because it's not about, if you're a millionaire, you know, if you bought your house 40 years ago, you're putting a little money in a 401k, you start getting nervous. Not that you're wealthy, but you've put yourself in a spot. It's a million bucks a year in income you get to keep after your accountant gets through with it. I, I, that's 20 grand a week. So if you make 20 grand a week or more, we're going to ask you to kick in a little bit extra. So Adam, you're going to be able to kick in more? You have 20 <laughs> grand a week? I, 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 I love the way that the campaign is being shaped even here. I'll tell you, what really struck me, and I, I think you hit the nail right on the head, I don't think Trump has as much relevance as we might think, as some people think, to Massachusetts. I'm going to return to that in a, in a little bit. Bernie Sanders does. That primary between Clinton and Sanders was mighty, mighty close. Mm -hmm. And um, the, 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 the issue, the question that interests me the most for the upcoming primary season for, um, uh, for the Democrats is how will that Sanders vote manifest itself? Mm -hmm. You know, where will they go? Um, because it's, it's, it's very active, and it's not just young in this state. It's, oh. not, just, it's not just college students. Um, um, but let me pick up on Trump for a second, and this, this is roundabout. The, the thing that fascinated me the most about this study, and um, I'm one of those people who loves to hate studies. Mm -hmm. I devour them, but then say, well, blah, blah, blah. You know, these aren't worth much. I think this is worth a lot. And, and what it does is, in, in a snapshot, it sort of shows um, some of our national problems. I mean, Charles Murray, the, the, the conservative um, social scientist, um, several years ago came up with the idea that there are two Americas. I mean, but there's the America that's in the bubble, the bubble of affluence. And then there's the, the, the America that lives outside the bubble. And, you know, to me, that's the, 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 um, the people outside the bubble of affluence were written about in that book, Hillbilly Elegy. Yes. And you can't shake a stick without seeing someone reading that book, by the way. I mean, that is, you know, everywhere I go, it's become the required reading. I have not yet read it. It's a good read. It, yeah. It's a good read. It, it's, by the way, it is not a policy book. It's... It's a it, it's a book, um, you, know, you know, about what it's like to grow up in an Appalachian style household in Ohio, and um, but here in Massachusetts we see um, the the inequality of America writ large. Um, you know, you've got the high income, highly educated, highly healthy people um, who are booming. And in Massachusetts, the smaller number of those people, you know, without education, without jobs, you know, a, a good, goodly number afflicted by opioid addiction. And um, to me, you, you've got that sort of Trumpian dynamic. Um, now, now, here it's small, and, and Trump, you know, didn't do all that well in Massachusetts. But um, 
So you we're, see we're, this you see this study as an indication, Peter, that the glass is you know, fairly substantially more than half full here in Massachusetts in contrast to certain other parts of the country? Yeah, what I'm saying is is that, you know, Massachusetts is a great state to live in if you're affluent. You know, you could probably stretch it and say if you're affluent and white or you're affluent and educated. It's because the, the way these rankings stack up, if you're educated and you're healthy, the odds are you're going to make a good income. And that good income translates into prosperity. John, um, is it fair to say, just to follow up on what Peter, what Peter was saying, um, is it fair to say that if this ranking or set of rankings, among other things, suggests that things are on balance pretty good in Massachusetts compared with elsewhere in the country, isn't that going to make it harder? I mean, it's just one thing, you know, the ranking first in the U.S. news study. But isn't it going to make it incrementally harder for any one of the people who you as a Democrat might like to see unseat Charlie Baker in a couple of years to get the job done? you got to admit it helps in so, some, right? Listen, uh, so I want to just – I'm going to come to this question, but I, I want to ask Peter. Yes, the Trump thing in Massachusetts is not as big, but would you be surprised if I told you that Donald Trump got 45,000 more votes than Charlie Baker in Massachusetts? Oh, no, no. Right. That, that, okay, that so, doesn't, no, that so it's doesn't the same thing. Me. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 mathematically you're right. I, I just mean that it, it, it's not the force right. here. And there's always a conservative streak or a pig-headed streak or what, well, in Massachusetts politics that the, the, the liberal media tends to overlook. Um, I would also add along, uh, and I'm not um, imputing the characterization pig-headed to her or anyone from the Mass GOP, but I saw Kirsten Hughes get reelected as chair of the Mass Republican Party, Kirsten, who we've had on, mm-hmm. who I would love to have on in the near She's future. Great. And I was struck by how sharply Kirsten's tone had changed from before the Republican nomination was decided, when it was really hard for her to find anything positive to say about Donald Trump, to her election as chair following Trump's election as president, in which she was, uh, before winning re-election, talking about how the state party was really on the same page uh, locally as President Trump was nationally. So that's a natural shift to make, you know, he's the president of the country, but but there is another way in which I think Donald Trump has had a Massachusetts impact, changing the tone of the party, if not of Charlie Baker. And Kirsten's great, by the way. She was elected chair when I was still chair of the Dems, and uh, she won that one by one vote. So this one she won by a couple. They did keep that DCR guy who was watching porn on the committee. They fired him the day after. I think they needed the vote, but we're not 100% sure. But she's fabulous. She's fabulous. But so let's, since you asked me the question, isn't it good for Charlie Baker? And you mentioned the liberal media. Just can we take a swing at the Globe since they're not here? Wait, who mentioned the liberal media? I, I mentioned, did. I yeah, mentioned yeah, yeah, the liberal, liberal media. So here's the headline which describes from the Boston Globe, February 8, 28 this year, describes the study. In Boone for Baker, mass ranked best in state by our news reporter. So the editorial comment or the analysis in the headline, we got good thing, and the story is presented at the political context as a boon for Baker. I happen to have here a Globe story by a reporter about Deval Patrick in 2012 bragging about Massachusetts stats and studies. Here's the headline. 
In bragging about Massachusetts, Patrick paints a largely accurate, if incomplete, picture. Oh, interesting. So yes, there <laughs> is a frame here. You know, I, so what, you know. Yeah, what, listen. You know, accept I, gotta, I accept I, it. Boom for Baker. They're going for the, the alliteration. So the alliteration is always key. I would note that the Baker piece was written by Joshua Miller. The Patrick piece was written by Mike Levinson. And we don't know, I haven't sat down and, and read these pieces right now, we don't know if it was the same editor who wrote the headlines. Exactly and I right. love, as a reporter, to always blame the editor. Yeah, of course. Upset <laughs> over my but, so, so, but to your point, does but it, I, I hear you. anything that is 17% is, is good for Charlie Baker, the Globe's going to spin it, so it is helpful. So, yes, this study's helpful. Oh, wait but, a minute. Is this a, a flat-out allegation of... Uh, no, institutionalized pro-Bakerism at the Globe? Well, they love Charlie. This was true since he was born. He was born to be governor. Well, I know they, they wanted him to be governor in 2009. I know they the Ed Page so endorsed him. Um, wait, yeah. but they didn't. You said they wanted him to be governor in 2009. They didn't endorse him back then, did no, they? No, but they, that's because it was going away at the time. But, but it, I mean, listen, I, I'm not a, I'm, I celebrate the press. I'm not, this is not <laughs> fake news. This is good, important. Good career move. Exactly. No, Very no, good career it's, move. It's really important. But to, to your question, is this help Charlie Baker? The truth is, wait, wait, the I, reports. I, 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 want, don't I definitely want to come back to that, but I, I'm enjoying playing, you know, doing our early beat the press type thing here. <laughs> Do you think that not just the Globe editorial page, but the Globe news operation has a discernibly pro Charlie Baker tilt? I would say, I don't know that because I don't know the operation. But as an outside observer, if you look at the coverage of DCR and the, the significant series of scandals, I don't know that it's gotten the kind of, of, of deep thought. And, and really that might be because the Herald broke that, right? Could That's be. my recollection. Could be. When I look at, you know, I, so I, I don't think it's institutional. I don't, so I, and I don't, I don't think it's totally important. And so maybe to be fresh, if, if the Globe really mattered about who became governor, I would be more worried about it. They're, they're still the big dog, but they don't control the day like they did 20 years ago where, where there's so much more. There's WGBH is really... Uh, uh, there we go. So I'm not the two good career moves. <laughs> I had interrupted John as he was getting back, I think, to my original question about whether this helps Baker. So John, answer that, and then Peter, you hop in. I'll shut up. Okay. So on a, on a, on a first of all, this specific report, right? This is a report where 85% of the stats that make up this number one ranking are from prior to Baker, or as he arrived. What this report says is Governor Baker inherited a humming economy, and good. It happened. He gets the report. He gets the reward. Um, you know, when we bring GE to Massachusetts, we bring GE to Massachusetts for a bunch of reasons. Maybe a big check was involved, but it's a good thing for our state, I believe. And the reason is because we have built this innovation infrastructure, that that is exactly what they're looking for. Now, Governor Baker negotiated the deal. He gets there here. He gets credit for it. But one, many, thing, many times I heard my friend Deval Patrick say explicitly, both in public and in amongst his folks, we are doing things that we are not going to get credit for because we're making long-term investments. We're making long-term decisions, things that won't show fruit. One of the things I, would, I think this campaign will ask Charlie Baker is, what are those kind of things that you're doing now? I know you're dealing with some of the things that are coming at you hard and fast, and you can have a debate how well you're doing them, and you can make cases you're making some progress, but what is your long-term vision for Massachusetts? What are the things, aside from 
keeping your eye on the spreadsheet. What about the problems of people in Massachusetts? What are you doing about them? This report doesn't really address that or doesn't address his success in that or failure because most of the stats are from before his time. But sure, any kind of positive press is good. No. You know, ultimately, I don't think this report should or really will have any effect on the gubernatorial race. But when you look at it, 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 it highlights just some interesting things. Personally, and I'm, I'm, I'm speaking only personally here, it, 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 the two things really um, struck out for me. One was um, when you get a little deeper into the numbers, the, the poor infrastructure for, for uh, public transportation. Yes. I, I'm a city resident. I take the T several times a week, sometimes several times a day. Um, I think things are getting better, but I will never forget the, the big breakdown from before. The other is public higher education. And in, by, by the way, it's not so much in this report um, uh, as in some um, long-term trends where in, in what I what I think of as investment in public higher education has been declining in this state for about 15 years. Which bears a national trend, right? Yeah, I, I mean, um, I look at this report and, and I wonder how many other voters, you know, I realize I'm, I'm, I'm obsessive, but there are other obsessive voters out mm -hmm. there. And to me, those two things are something that I'm going to really, as a voter, be paying attention to. Um, I think public higher education um, gets the short end of the stick in this state. Um, to our significant detriment. Yes, and I just think of um, how much higher Massachusetts ranking could be. You can't be higher than number one, but you could lead. Yeah. You could lead in other categories. If we had better public transportation and if we had better public higher education. Um, uh, you know, when we're doing, we, we're doing some things right. Uh, this began, what I'm about to uh, reference, began under uh, uh, Governor Patrick and is continuing um, uh, under Charlie Baker, the, the, uh, the emphasis on junior colleges. I mean, I've had some experience in my own family with kids trying to cut down costs for the four-year college right. by taking some things there, but I'm using myself as yeah. an example here, and I'm saying those are two things I fixated on. Well, I will tell you, and I say this as someone who has younger kids who are slowly getting older, as they seem to tend to do, and someone who grew up in Minnesota. I've been here close to half my life now, but uh, it, it Minnesota was, ranked three there we go, in the three, nation. And, and, you know, the difference, and this is, uh, you know, all sorts of reasons for this. It's a regional thing. It's because there's so many good private institutions in Massachusetts. But in Minnesota, the way they talk about the University of Minnesota, that uh, flagship campus in particular in, in Minneapolis, I mean, it's seen as a sort of communal treasure in a way that, you know, you see in other Midwestern states, Ohio with Ohio State, Indiana, Michigan. Sure. Uh, you even see it in places like Virginia, and you just don't have that here. And since my kids could end up going to UMass, I'd, I'd love to see Of course. It. Yeah. And listen, and how more. do we deal with that in Massachusetts? Let's just do the higher ed piece. I think the transportation is very key, Peter. But the, the public higher ed piece, you know, listen, for better or worse, Charlie Baker's policy shop is the Pioneer Institute. 
a far right wing libertarian think tank. Do and they really qualify as far right in this day and age, the Pioneer Institute? Well, here's the let's take something. I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe the things have gotten so crazy, but they're certainly See, not. I think moderate. they're business friendly. Okay, so here, how about this public higher ed? Um, a few years like ago, yeah, p- 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 Jim Sturgis and, you know, Secretary of Education, um, you know, if, if talking about this, a few years ago, um, um, the Pioneer Institute study was like, well, public higher ed in Massachusetts sort of stinks, and why are we spending so much money on it, right? Last year, UMass is so popular, you, it's hard to get into yeah, UMass now. that's right. UMass, UMass, and so what's the Pioneer Institute? Well, why are we spending money? Because it's attracting out-of-state students. It is, that what, whatever the facts are, the conclusion is pre-decided, and the policy the decisions that go behind that, exactly. Deval Patrick, investment in, in, in bricks and mortar infrastructure on these campus had been missing for 30 years. Every campus in Massachusetts saw it. Those, those investments have essentially dried up. In the city of Brockton, there's a corner where, right near Massasoit Community College, there was a proposal. There's a actually pretty good healthcare infrastructure in the Brockton region, and there's a real need for some of those technical skills, those entry level, those not the people that are maybe working in the kitchen, but that could strive. And, and there was a program that, that Massasoit had put together, spent years thinking about took down the old Christo's restaurant. I missed their Greek salad. But it, it, <laughs> Chris passed, and, and so and, and it was going to be an entry level. Charlie Baker cut that. In Brockton also, Massasoit, Bridgewater State, UMass Boston, a collaborative adult education campus right downtown, cut that. The people in Brockton call the old Christo's corner now. You know what it is now? It's another extent of blacktop that attaches to a big space. They call it Baker's Corner. That kind of investment is essential for us because those kids are here. Those kids are staying here. And by the way, they are, they are graduating with debt. And uh, just to give Charlie Baker some, so not all the, the Democrats in the legislature better step up on public higher ed. The debt burden that Bernie Sanders ran on, we are doing nothing about in Massachusetts. And if we don't step up, the thing with the great rankings, right, why aren't we investing from the things we have that are booming into the things we need, like public higher ed. And, and if I just throw one last thing, because I know it wasn't conscious when you talked about public transportation, you take the T. But it's interesting, this governor, to his credit, invests some money in a study for the North-South Rail Link. It was a pretty big check, millions of dollars. Yeah, he, vetoed, he vetoed the study for a bullet train to Springfield. By the way, so, so sometimes when you don't live in the T district, you hear about the T a lot. But the residents of the South Coast have been lied to by Republican governors for 40 or 50 years. This governor, again, takes it down. This is a space we have this in the extension of the green line. It's moving forward. Yes. But we had to cheap out on the things. The extension of the blue line to Lynn, what that would mean. These investments, they cost money and we're not willing to do it. And now Baker's gotta, the governor. He gets well. And, no, no. I mean, the, the, the thing that I wrestle with and I don't have a solution to is the population around here hasn't changed all that much. And um, I'll you numbers. Pardon? Numbers. In numbers. Yeah. And, and w- when people like the Pioneer Institute say, wait a second, we, we've got a relatively static public you know, population, but we're, you know, we want to increase the reach of public higher education, uh, public transportation. I think there's a point there, but I also think there's a number of other ways of looking at it. 
um, you know, s speed, air pollution. Mm -hmm. um, uh, to me, the, the 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 big expansion of the T is a little more problematic than improving what we have now. Um, uh, but and do we do, we just, do anybody a favor by making these two things opponents? Like we either expand the T to places that need it, or we fix the T. Why isn't the start is we the, we need to expand public? Like by the way, this is not just for T riders. This is for the people who are on all the roadways that are in co complete yeah. gridlock. And, you know, the, the storms of 2015 made all the people who say, why are we, you know, the drivers go, why are we spending the T? Because when we shut the T down, all those T people got on the road with them and screwed up the traffic even but worse. But in a roundabout way, doesn't this get back to balancing the budget? Sure. Where, where does the money come from? Well, and, and to me, that's where there's a... Um, the, the 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 Massachusetts political psyche is, you know, n not aligned with itself. You're talking about an abiding sense of distrust that massive amounts of money allocated for something like what John is talking about no, simultaneously I mean, I, I, improving expenditure. I think it's on the one hand going to be spent well, or the, the, like the, the the people who vote for um, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders oh, gotcha. want these programs on a national level, but there's clearly a reluctance there among these same voters to pay for it on a local level. And part of that's the big dig effect, right? The whole lingering yeah. shadow cast by that. Charlie yeah. Baker's big dig financing plan is still hurting us. There's I no question there about it. Oh, but very. He wrote it. I got a copy if you want it, no, by the way. Do, do enough people remember? You know, here in the United States of amnesia, do yeah. enough? We all remember the big dig, but... You remember it was Charlie Baker's finance plan that screwed us, right? Remind he, he didn't have a shovel. <laughs> but he's the me, guy. John, was it? Was it? See, the, I always think of Car I always blame Carasiotis. I know. So was it was it, smart. Am I blaming the wrong guy? I think you're not sufficiently uh, wrapping your arms around. When did it, you? When did that phrase? When was that deployed really aggressively by Democrats? Was it in Charlie Baker's first run for governor or his second run? Remind first. me. First. First. Okay. And it worked for you guys then. So there might still be a website up that. The day Charlie announced that the Mass Democratic Party put out called Big Dig Baker. I remember that. Still there, yeah. by the if anybody wants it. It includes, it includes the memo Charlie wrote to the file about the financing plan that he wrote and said, after this election is over, 1998, somebody should take a look at this. Stuck it in the file, went off to Harvard Pilgrim. Like it would have in the debate, Charlie said, I put it in the file. Deval Patrick said, it would have been nice if you told somebody else. Remind me, did Martha Coakley work with that? Not as in. much as I would yeah. have. You know, we could probably go on for a really long time because you are such an engaging and knowledgeable and also, uh, you're so engaging and knowledgeable and also so good at sticking a shiv in your <laughs> opponents in a very subtle, artful way. Well, but being high-minded, that's I, what that's I, the key key well, yes. being so high-minded, yeah. That said, uh, our listeners have already stuck with us for a while. We want to be respectful of them. And Peter or I have to ask you a, a kind of an awkward question. Peter, do you want to do it or should I? No, because I don't really care. You, oh, right. you go ahead and you know, Well, you, speaking that of that was it. that do, wasn't a nice Should I leave now? Is that a, Well, <laughs> no, no, I think, I think. I at least want to know what is taking Seti Warren so long when it comes to deciding if he's going to run for governor. I get that it's a, a huge personal investment to make, but yes. he's been taking a while, right? So, um, By the way, to explain myself, he lost my interest. That's why right. I don't <laughs> care anymore. <laughs> so here's the deal. I, the, 
I think that, so first of all, Deval Patrick, sort of the first story about him running for governor was in January, and he announced the end of April. Um, I think that deciding that you are ready to do this and then taking the time to talk to enough people to make sure that what you're thinking and what they're thinking is, that's an important thing. Uh, and maybe Seti Warren learned something about that when he jumped into the race for U.S. Senate early. So, but there's the other thing about Seti Warren. He's got this cool day job, right, managing the city of Newton and day-to-day. -day. Solid job. And so I would anticipate, you know, if you want to try to make some projections, I can tell you that the response he's getting is positive and encouraging. I think over the next period of time, maybe even later this week, we'll have some specific steps we'll start taking that will indicate his intention. But he's got a very big responsibility in passing the city budget. Newton. Did you just announce that he's officially running for governor? No, is that I what did I just not, heard? No, absolutely not. He's got, but, but one of the things I want to tell you about it is listening, right, is the important space in these intervening months. This is what Elizabeth Warren did in the beginning. It's what Deval Petty, it's what good politicians do. One thing we talk about, the Trump piece. Seti Warren's unique amongst Democrats, at least that are publicly talking about it. Um, he did a piece at, in Mass Live about after the tr Trump Hillary election, he brought three Trump voters together for Newton, three Hillary voters. They had dinner, they were all scared to death. It was great. I don't know if you remember, around the inaugural, The Globe did a great story about out in Winchenden. And it was a place that sort of described like we somehow think of the Midwest, a place where factories were closed. They went from coffee shops and bars, to, and, and, and they talked to Trump voters. Um, there was one guy there that was particularly interesting. He owned a little cafe, and he said, I voted for Donald Trump because he's a businessman. He was, uh, he's going to cut taxes, cut regulations, and he's going to figure out health care. And I don't understand if Canada can figure out health care, why we can't. So... That's, you know, some of us will say that's a little incongruous. If you ask the guy, was he for single payer, he wouldn't be. Said he Warren, 10 days ago, a week, not this past week, before, went to Winchenden, sat down in that cafe, spent an hour and a half with him and his girlfriend. The insight about what's happening in north central Massachusetts, south central, the south coast, and other areas of Massachusetts that aren't experiencing this boom, that's what you learn when you take your time. By the way, one of the key insights, they got 2.8% unemployment. They get it. The question in Winchenden that, according to these people, was not do you have a job. It's how many jobs do you have? The, his girlfriend works in the cafe. She works at, um, I won't say, one of the, the pharmacy companies and works at a, at a, at a big store. And she work, cobbles them together to about 40-something hours a week, no benefits, all minimum wage. They're scrambling. That's, you, that's why you take your time. This is going to sound incredibly shallow coming off of the anecdote that you just shared. Uh, did Jay Gonzalez's entry into the race uh, as the first declared Democrat, did that change uh, Mayor Warren's calculus at all? None, no. Well, at least I'll tell you, for me, when I, Seti and I spoke, and one thing he had to agree to get me to work with him is we want a primary. Beating Charlie Baker in the last seven weeks of 2018 is not an easy task. You need to build a movement, and you need that time. The intramural contest, particularly if the Democrats will run a, a left progressive primary and, and debate these issues. That's good for us because one of the, one of the, the, there's a piece of this that everything that Charlie Baker may do between now and election day obviously has an impact, but there's a piece that it really isn't about him because while Donald Trump got 45,000 votes more than him in Massachusetts, Hillary Clinton got a million more votes than, than Martha Coakley, and that's the question for 18. How many are gonna turn out? Who's gonna turn out? How do you organize? 
and there's a little orange-haired guy in the White House that's motivating some of those people. Pretty big 140 guy. characters at a time. Mm. Um, so I think that, the, that the, the truth is if the Democrats run on the values that we care about, then the turnout's going to rise. And look at the history of turnout in gubernatorial elections. It's very, very determined. And just, I swear, my last question about the, the Democratic primary, are you at all concerned that since Jay Gonzalez was part of the Patrick administration, uh, budget director, I think, if I'm recalling correctly, um, I know that wasn't the technical no, term, but that's just yep. uh, Won't he be able to lay claim to the commendable Deval Patrick legacy that we started off this conversation talking about? Possibly. If I were him, I would try, right? That, that would be one of his advantages. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. And, oh. and by the way, if Dan Wolf gets in, he'll have some advantages. J Bob Massey's thinking of getting in. Yep. He'll have some advantages. Evan Falchuk, welcome to the party. If he gets in, he'll have some advantages. I believe Massachusetts Democrats, our biggest asset is a deep talent pool. When we constrict uh, competition, we are putting our biggest asset on the sideline. The competition amongst these candidates, and maybe more, is going to be good for us. Maybe Marissa DeFranco is going to decide to run. Who knows? She very well might. <laughs> John Walsh, uh, Democratic maestro, thank you for being here. As always, thank it's you, a pleasure Adam. to speak it's with you. Peter Kadzis, thanks for shooting the breeze. Thanks for having me. Everyone who has listened so far should subscribe to us on iTunes if you haven't already. Uh, you can find us on iTunes online at blogs.wgbh.org slash scrum or on Stitcher and SoundCloud and podcatchers like that. Uh, so that's going to do it. I'm Adam Riley. Our producer, again, was Jason Tresky, and the Scrum is a production of WGBH News.